Hello. You know, when, uh, when Mr. Markley asked me to speak uh, a couple weeks back, I, uh, I thought to myself, it's been a while since someone asked me, so I said, yeah. And then I realized, it's been a while since someone asked me. <laughs> Was I that bad? <laughs> but uh, I'm here, and uh, it, was, it was a blessing, because we spoke uh, of uh, our topics, and, uh, and I don't want to ruin it for Rick, so I'm, it's, it's a surprise. No, um, <laughs> I'm going to be speaking about uh, um, the account of when Jesus Christ was anointed in Simon the leper's house. Uh, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew 26, verse 6. And I'll begin reading um, at verse 1. And it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto the disciples, Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and that the Son of Man is betrayed, wait, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people. Unto the place of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. But they said, Not on this feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman, having an alabaster box of very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to poor, give it to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble you this woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For you have the poor always with you, but me you have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole word, in the whole world, there shall also this, there shall also this that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. Now the idea is that Jesus Christ, again, like the, the scripture says, is uh, he's someone is throwing a feast for him, and it's Simon the leper, and um, the chief priest and Caiaphas. What they're doing is they're they're in the background. They're having a, a meeting of how to um, kill Jesus Christ. And, and later in a different account in, in the word, it's also Lazarus too. But I don't think Lazarus is going to be scared since he just recently got raised from the dead by Jesus Christ himself. So um, I wanted to um, discuss um, more or less the account of the house of Simon the leper. Now in, Math, or in Mark 14... 14.3, you could turn your Bibles over there. It affirms the fact that they are, were in the house of uh, Simon the leper. I'll start reading in verse 2. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people, and being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. As he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment, of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves. And they said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble you her? She hath wrought a good work on me. 
Now, the, the account of the, um, of the anointing of Jesus Christ, um, it's there, but reading in brigades, what we have in brigades, we have, uh, we're going through Luke as well. And you can see throughout the Gospels that Jesus Christ had many titles. One of his titles was the Great Physician. And continuing to read Matthew 26, 6, um, you get an idea of uh, who Jesus was and what he was able to do. But, or should I say and, wrong, <laughs> wrong conjunction. <laughs> I'd like to read, um, as far as getting to my point, I'll get there. <laughs> as the great physician uh, in the Gospels, I have accounts of Jesus Christ's healings. In John 2, he heals the official son. Mark 1, he drives out the evil spirit. And Matthew 8, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, Matthew 8, Mark 1, Luke 5, he heals a man with leprosy. Uh, Luke 7, he heals a centurion's servant. And Matthew 9, he heals, he heals the paralytic. Uh, Matthew 12, he, heal, he heals the withered, man, the withered hand of the man. Luke 7, he, heal, he heals the widow's son. Mark 5, he heals a woman and the crowd. John 9, he heals a man born blind. Matthew 12, Luke 11, he heals the mute demoniac. John 11, raises Lazarus from the dead. And back in Matthew 26, 6, we have this account. Verse 6, it says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. Why was Simon still a leper? Couldn't get past that one verse. <laughs> knowing all these things, knowing that Jesus Christ can do what he did, do, or can do basically what he did in the accounts of the gospel, how is it that Simon was still a leper? Um, I don't want to be dogmatic, but... Okay, yeah, I do. I'm going to be dogmatic. I'm sorry. I'm going to be very insistent, but can we say from the accounts of the healings that Jesus Christ did that... It took faith in order to be healed by Jesus Christ. Yes. From Simon the leper, can we say that he had faith? I would go as far as to say no. Um, if you would turn to your Bibles in Mark 5, Mark chapter 5, I'll give the accounts of... Um, the accounts of the Lord Jesus Christ healing men and the... Uh, and what he says after it, chapter 5, verse 28. And it says, For he said, If I may touch, or for she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest, Who touched me? And he looked round about and said unto her, said, said, Wait, and he looked round about to her, to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. And be whole of thy plague. We also have account, an account in Luke seventeen twelve. 
if you turn back, turn to that. This is the account where Jesus, or the lepers see Jesus afar off and they run to him. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back with a loud voice, glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he said, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, saying, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are all? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save the stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. We have another count back in Mark 10, verses 50. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came up to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What will thou that I should do unto thee? And this is the blind man. So the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed, and followed Jesus in thy way. One could say that it is faith in the presence of Jesus that could cleanse a leper's physical being. The account of Simon, if he had faith, that the great physician could heal him, could have gone as follows. Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, after the cleansing of Simon, Simon's leprosy, there came a woman having an alabaster box. Now I feel that because Jesus knew that he was going to the cross, I don't think that he would not have healed anyone before he went to the cross. Um, as a matter of fact, um, his personage, after Peter cut off the ear, he did heal the person, um, I think it was the servant, the servant's ear, and he put it right back in his, on his ear. Um, in accounts as such as these, I like to do kind of character references. Now, we have Simon the leper and what he was willing to do. Simon, he was willing to invite Jesus into his house. He was willing to have supper with him. He was willing to have Martha, Mary, and the 12 disciples. Now, on Jesus' account, we have, or on the, on the opposite side, we have um, all the accounts of the characters, or not characters, the actual people who were there. Um, we have evidence of the power of Jesus Christ by the miracle of Lazarus raising from the dead. The everlasting witness of a woman who knew the Lord and will forever be remembered in the gospel. A worrisome woman, it's Martha. The twelve disciples that were co-workers with the ministry and the witness also. We have one traitor. Excuse me. We have one traitor, which is Judas, and the great physician. So again, I ask, why was Simon still a leper? Um, 
Now, as far as the application to Christians and not, this can be go back and forth from Christianity or from Christians to non-Christians, from believers to non-believers, I believe. Um, continuing with the same point as he didn't have enough faith to be healed by um, Jesus Christ or he just brought Jesus in there for entertainment. Um, because he was a leper, that does not mean that he didn't have faith in Jesus as the Messiah. It means that most likely he didn't have it in Jesus as the physician. Last week we heard from our brother Sam that um, the verse behind us, Come all you that labor and are heavy laden, and he will give you rest. Um, is it enough to lay your burden down um, at Jesus' feet once? As far as, the, as far as being a Christian and just accepting him um, as the Messiah, but not letting him heal you spiritually and physically. Um, we have the hymn that says, Christ liveth in me. That could be our house. Simon the leper invited Jesus Christ in his house. I don't believe that he had enough faith to be healed by Jesus Christ. Um, because when you think about it, what's the, he, the account of, Jesus, of him, Jesus walking into his house, why didn't he wash his feet? If he, didn't, if he washed his feet, I'm pretty sure his leprosy would have been you know, taken away from him. At least that's, that's the thought process that I'm going through. <laughs> now with closing, I'll say, um, if the Lord is in your midst, if he's in your house, um, will you lay your burden at his feet? Or you'll keep him there as entertainment. While holding on to the sin, um, he could gladly lift off of your shoulders. Or will you forever be considered the leper who had the great physician in his house in order not to be healed? And with that, I invite Rick up. Thank you. Thank you, Ricky. Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Ricky talked about uh, a man who fell short of all that he could have had in Christ. He could have had salvation. And to me, leprosy, just to add a little bit to what you said, Ricky, to me, leprosy uh, speaks of sin. And he fell short of having forgiveness for his sins. I mean, there he was. Jesus was in his house, and he didn't reach out. He held back. And uh, I'm so glad you pointed it out. He held back for some reason. There was something in Simon the leper's life which kept him from fully trusting Jesus as his Lord and Savior and getting the healing which uh, he would need as a leper. And, and I'll just take play it spiritually. Sometimes people hold back because there's something in their life that they're so, it might be their pride, it might be their family, they hold back and for that reason, don't get saved. Agrippa said almost to Paul, thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. That close. And yet Paul goes one way, Agrippa goes the other, and they'll, they'll never meet. 
Uh, and my, my, what I'm speaking on is very similar. So we'll start with verse 18. I'd like to speak to you about a, a young ruler first. And then I'll speak on someone else in a moment. But now uh, verse 18, chapter 18 and verse 18 says, A certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And we read in the other Gospels that um, not only was a certain ruler, he was a certain young ruler. Uh, in fact, he was a certain rich young ruler. And so the other Gospels kind of fill in some detail regarding this young man. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus challenges him right away. Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. So he's coming to Jesus saying, you're so good, teacher. You're even divinely good. What do I have? To, so he's coming to the right person. He's asking, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And I think some of us have done that ourselves in the days before we really knew who the Lord Jesus Christ was. We wanted to do whatever it took to be assured of heaven. We wanted God's righteousness. What do I have to do? And I don't know about you, but there is a verse in the Old Testament, and it's so true. Uh, covering yourself with your own righteousness is like covering yourself with a short sheet. Okay, <laughs> if you pull it up to here, your feet get exposed. Cover your feet, your chest gets exposed. You can't cover yourself with your own righteousness. And that's, that's the way life is. And, and I feel this young, rich man had the same problem. Uh, we, we let's find out what he, was, what he did. Uh, Jesus said in verse 20, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. I mean, that is profound. Uh, he, he hadn't been a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, so he probably didn't know the depths of uh, the deceit in his own heart that would kind of let him entertain that thought that he had never done anything wrong since he was a boy. Uh, but he, uh, ignorance is, innocent, you're innocent sometimes just because you're, you're ignorance. And that's kind of this young man's situation. So Jesus heard this, and, and in verse 22, this is how he challenges him. He said to him, you still lack one Thing. If there's anyone here tonight who lacks that one thing, you're short of assurance of heaven. This guy lacked one thing. What was it? That's what makes this uh, story so important. This is the last time Jesus is coming through. He's on his way to Jerusalem. You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. So the invitation uh, for this rich, young ruler is to sell everything, and then come and follow Jesus. So he has this big decision to make, and uh, what, <laughs> what was it that he lacked? Well, he loved his possessions. Uh, and here is Jesus inviting him to be a disciple. In fact, uh, in, in Mark, we read that Jesus saw him and loved him. I mean, that's how 
sincere this person was in wanting to know what must I do to inherit eternal life. What, one th what, what do I have to do? And Jesus said, well, you do all these things. And he says, well, I've done those. And now it's the challenge to his heart. Who's going to come first? What's going to come first? His money or Jesus? And that's the tug. That's the decision he has to make. The one thing that he lacked was a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. So here you have Jesus and here you have money. And a lot of people are deceived by that today. They'll choose money, uh, well-being for myself, and not choose the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal savior. Money is more important. And in verse 23, you read about this fellow's response, and it's similar to Simon the leper. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And Jesus told his disciples then, and when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He fell short, like Agrippa, like Simon the leper, like this rich young ruler. One thing he lacked, and that was the willingness to give up everything for Jesus. It would be a wonderful thing if he had sold everything that he had and followed Jesus. Uh, is that what it took to be a follower of Jesus? You had to sell everything? Well, that's our next example, the next chapter, Zacchaeus. Chapter 19. Chapter 19 tells us of a man named Zacchaeus who lived in Jericho. This is the third time Jesus is going through Jericho, and it's the last time. He's passing through Jericho. Jericho is a beautiful city. Um, it was, uh, as you, most of you know, it's a very low elevation, the lowest elevation city in the world. Uh, it's, it's nice climate all year round. Uh, uh, God had cursed it, of course, when the children of Israel came uh, across the river on their way to occupy the, uh, occupy the, uh, the promised land. But it had been rebuilt. And the people were proud. The people were haughty. And they had a tax collector there. In fact, they had the commissioner of taxes as Jesus is coming through, and his name was Zacchaeus. He was the chief number one tax collector, and obviously people would hate him. And that's what we're going to read about now. Let's see what he does. Now, if Jesus says you have to sell everything you have uh, to be a disciple, that's going to be a big challenge for Zacchaeus if he wants to come to Christ. But let's see how he approaches Jesus. Verse 2. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. Okay, he's the commissioner of taxes, and he was rich. So uh, actually, we have three, uh, three well-to-do people tonight, don't we? We have Simon the leper, we have the rich young ruler, and here we have this tax collector who's rich. And this guy was rich because he was a crook. But anyway, verse 3, and he sought to see Jesus see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. 
So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Third time Jesus is coming through. He doesn't know it, but this is the last time he could trust Christ or, or you know, uh, see Jesus. And maybe he came out of curiosity because the crowds were following the Lord Jesus Christ. And the disciples were there, and just a crowd coming through. In fact, it was such a big crowd, he couldn't see Jesus. So he climbs into a sycamore tree to get a view uh, of Jesus. And he's there, it's probably overhanging the road somehow, and Jesus starts to pass through. He was of short stature. In verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus, come down. Make haste and come down, for today I must abide in your house. So here's another situation with a house. Uh, and uh, I think it might be the only time Jesus invites himself into someone's house. Who does he? You didn't think he would know him, but and he probably doesn't, but he knows his name. Uh, isn't that interesting? He knows Zacchaeus' name. He calls him by name. Harry and come down. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, there, there's a verse, uh, and I don't know exactly, remember where it is, but the Greeks come to the uh, disciples and they say, Sirs, we would see Jesus. Their only desire is to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe they're Gentiles, okay? It's a, in some versions, it calls them Greeks. Uh, and that's, in a way, that's Zacchaeus' position. He wants to see Jesus. He doesn't care about any of the disciples. He wants to struggle over the crowds. Climbing, he, think about it, it looks kind of ridiculous. He has this robe on, and he's an older man, and he's climbing over into the, into the tree to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the, the ridicule of all that is, is, is amazing, but he was intent on seeing the Lord Jesus Christ, and it didn't matter if he'd be embarrassed doing it. He was willing to do it. So his pride wasn't an issue. It could have been Simon the leper's issue was his pride. Uh, it could have been, that could have been rich young ruler. Well, the rich young ruler, I think, was just his money. He wasn't going to give up any of his money. But there's always one thing. I don't know, many of you know the Lord as your personal savior. And that's wonderful. Uh, it'd be interesting to hear your testimony, to hear what was holding you back from trusting Christ as your Savior. For me, it was my pride. Okay? And uh, uncertainty, the uncertainty of trusting in a person I'd never met. Because okay? I'm an engineer type person. I want to see, if I have to believe it, if I have to cross that bridge, I want to see that bridge and examine it before I cross it. That's the way I feel. And it was that wanting to see before I believe it attitude uh, that held me back. And it's only by faith. You have to trust in someone you've never met. You have to believe this book that he died for sinners and take your place as a sinner and trust him as your personal savior. That's a step of faith. Well, nothing held Zacchaeus back. That's what was so interesting. I mean, he, he looked ridiculous, but he didn't care. It didn't matter. So we read here, uh, he, he's asked to make haste. That Jesus called him by name, Zacchaeus. And you know, uh, this is what one, one uh, preacher once said. If you have the person's name, you have the person. If you don't have their name, they don't belong. Isn't that true in any group we're in? 
If you don't know anybody's name and they don't know your name, you're not a part of that group. It's when people know your name and you know their name that you, okay, yeah, I belong, you know. And it's true. The most important, in some ways, the most important thing a person has is their name. In John chapter 10 and verse 3, Jesus calls his sheep by what? By their name. And one preacher once said that when I get to heaven, I'll know somebody will know my name. Right? That'll be Jesus. He'll know their name. You may not know anybody else, but he'll know your name because he's called you and you've responded. So he's calling him by name. Another commentator has said in regards to this that this might have been the first time that somebody called his name in a kind way since his mother talked to him. He's cur- I mean, people would swear at him and curse him because he was at the tax collector. He was stealing their money, uh, not only to pay Roman taxes, but to make himself rich. Okay? So Jesus called to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. And what does he do? He responds. He immediately comes down. He came down and received him joyfully. There was nothing holding Zacchaeus back. He wanted Christ. Simon the leper, something was holding him back. The rich young ruler, something was holding him back. Nothing held Zacchaeus back. And if there's anyone here tonight who doesn't know the Lord, don't let anything hold you back. Trust Christ as your Savior tonight. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. So when other people saw this in verse 7, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. So they're kind of disgusted because Jesus was promoted to them as being a great prophet, a teacher, the Messiah. And you would think he would want to eat with the mayor or with the the chief of the synagogue, you know, with those kinds of people. And that's not the way Jesus was. They were were disgusted that he's going to eat, eat with this tax collector, which they all hated. It's funny how Jesus reached out to someone who was an outcast. That's a mark of the Christian church. We reach out to people who are outcasts. Because Jesus did. Jesus was comfortable doing that. That's a high calling, to reach out to somebody who's an outcast. And Jesus called him by name, just reached out. and I'm going to eat at your house today. And Zacchaeus is overwhelmed, filled with joy, responds immediately to this. And we could assume that when he said, okay, yes, came down, and when he received him, he's going to receive him into his house, he's going to receive him into his heart at the same time. That's just the way this whole thing goes. It doesn't say it explicitly like that, but you just know the way he's responded. He receives Jesus altogether in his heart. And in verse 8, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, so he's going to make a vow, because he's going to stand there and say, Look, Lord, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to do something here, and I want you to hear me. This is what I want to do. I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. So, uh, you know, you know if, if I was the chief of the synagogue and there were some poor people, I'd probably come to somebody like Zacchaeus and say, Zacchaeus, would you please, please, please donate some money for the poor? Nah. You know, he's out for himself, right? All that he can get. And, and all of a sudden, he wants to take half of all, his heart is so changed. Here's how much I have. 
I want to cut it in half, and I want to give this to charity. Interesting. He wanted everything from the rich young ruler. But he doesn't challenge Zacchaeus that way. Why? He already has his heart. That's what really counts. That's all that counts, your heart. If you have the heart, you have the whole person, right? So he didn't have to challenge uh, Zacchaeus with that. He knew the heart of the rich young ruler that was occupied with his wealth and the pride of living in, with everything that you need and, and all that money. That's, that was really where his heart was. Zacchaeus didn't have that problem. He was willing to just let it go. I mean, is Rod here tonight? Rod, did he leave yet? He was, yeah, okay. Rod would love this guy. <laughs> There's three kinds of people, by the way, by the way when it comes to giving. Uh, one type of person is like flint, okay? You hammer away, hammer away, chip, you, get a little, you might get a little bit of something because you keep banging away and trying to get some money out of this person. They're like flint. And there's another kind of person that's like a sponge, so you squeeze them. The more you squeeze them, the more you get, right? A third person is like a honeycomb. It just flows out. And that's Zacchaeus. That's the change that has come into his heart. I can tell you before he met Jesus, he was, he was just probably holding on to his money for, for dear life, okay? Afterwards, it was his. It was belonged to Jesus. He just opened up his heart to Jesus with, with his wealth. Next thing he does, so he takes care of charity. It, you know, the, the, the leader of the synagogue is probably amazed at this. Next thing, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, and I'm sure there's a long list of people he had taken money away from by cheating them, I restore fourfold. So, for example, if, you, um, if he had cheated you out of 100 bucks, he said, I'm going to give you 400 bucks. Okay, not only the $100 I, uh, I took illegally or wrongly, I'm going to give you an extra 300 bucks. I'm going to give you four times what I stole from you. Okay. So he takes care of restitution. And sometimes in our Christian life, once Jesus has taken over control of our lives, it's not only being free to donate to charity, it's being ready to make restitution for some of the things we did when we were unsaved. Some lives call for that. I think with the rich young ruler, it was the more just the charity, being willing to give it up and follow Jesus. But Zacchaeus had it. He, you know, we're all individuals, and the Lord treats us each differently. And this is his response without even being asked. That's what's so amazing. 9, verse 9, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. He's put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as Abraham put his faith in God, so Zacchaeus did. And verse 10, and this answers all those who were grumbling. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He was doing this because that was his purpose to come. He, was, he came to reach people like Zacchaeus. Who, he was, was, Ricky was saying, he's the physician who came to heal people who were sick. People who are well don't need a physician. And he came to help those who were sick. 
We're going to finish a little bit early tonight. I just want to share, uh, just summarize this and share a little story with you. Uh, one is, uh, it summarized this. You have Simon the leper who, 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 who missed out, not only being healed, but I think even though he opened his house, he's, he, 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 it was aloof, aloof to the real situation. The real person in that story who's important is the woman who comes and, and uh, pours ointment on his feet, and his, uh, anoints him. She's at a point of worship. And that's what's so beautiful about that story. And uh, I appreciate what you brought out about Simon. I really never thought about it that way, but it's true. He missed out. And here's this woman worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's judging the whole thing, you know, doesn't, doesn't do anything. He could have been healed, could have been saved. Then here's the rich young ruler who is, lacks one thing, and he holds back. There's Agrippa. Almost, thou persuadest me to be a Christian. So close. But you know, <laughs> it, could be, it could be this close and, and not get saved. This close and miss out on salvation. And what happens? You're lost, lost forever. Yet you had the opportunity. Zacchaeus took advantage of the opportunity. And if God is knocking on your heart's door, tonight is the night to act on it. There was a, this is a story along a diff, slightly different line. Um, and it, it all happened close to where Betty and I used to live. We used to live in western Pennsylvania. And we'd drive on the way to the Youngstown Assembly. We went to the Assembly in Ohio. And as we drove westward across the border, we, we passed, one town was called Unity. And you know, we always, I always quoted that verse to myself as I went through. Uh, the town of unity, you know, brethren that dwell together in unity. The uh, unity is like oil, you know, on, on your beard and all that sort of thing. But anyway, I always used to say that verse. But there was another town called East Palestine uh, in, uh, in Ohio, in a farm country. And there was a high school teacher who taught art in a town called Sharon, Pennsylvania. In fact, he was the supervisor of all the art instruction in, uh, in Sharon, Pennsylvania. Uh, and he had, a, he had this struggle. He loved to go to evangelistic services. And he, he loved to lead the music. Uh, but he had this struggle. In fact, uh, he, when he was young, he got a passport and went around the world and visited all these art museums, in, uh, especially in Europe, because he wanted to become an artist as well, because he was really into, into this. But he also loved evangelistic meetings. And in 1896, he was 41 years old. He went, uh, went from Sharon, drove down to East Palestine, and there was an uh, evangelistic service going on. He was asked to lead the music. And he did, and the, the preacher spoke. And this, the weight of making this decision, whether to go into evangelistic work or become an artist, was so heavy on him. He made the decision. He said, I surrender all. His name was uh, Judson Van de Velter. And he, was, uh, he went and became a full-time evangelist. He wrote the music, uh, the words to I surrender all. And as we close tonight, I just thought it'd be an appropriate time to sing that hymn together. 
Uh, it's number 533. Uh, this hymn had a great effect on my life. When, you, when you're in a dilemma, do they go left or right? Is it self or is it the Lord? And for him, it was be an artist or serve the Lord as an evangelist, which he had never done before, but he, was, he loved it. And it turned out to be, he was a good friend of Billy Graham, and Billy Graham first got started. So his life had a big impact on Billy Graham. But Ricky, or I'm sorry, Scotty, would you lead that song? Thank you. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you this evening that we could hear the example of these different men and uh, this woman, Lord, who had different decisions to make concerning their response to the gospel call. They're willing to trust Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, or they're going to hold pray you bless the gospel message. May it also speak our own hearts, Lord, in, in this coming week. If there are situations that we're in where we have to make a, a decision, help us to consider him and consider his call in our lives. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. We thank you we've met like this to remember him and uh, pray you bless your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name.